the most inspiring people in life, you know, whether you see them on TV or you're in personal connection with them, aren't the ones that are perfect, are the ones that are constantly evolving and getting better and showing recovery. Welcome to The Shift, where we search for ways to do better by thinking better. Whether you're going through a major life change, looking to deepen your understanding of yourself, or hoping to improve your relationships with others, The Shift is here for you. We're your hosts, Isla and Yashar, an endlessly curious sister and brother team. As certified brain-based executive coaches with backgrounds in medicine and management, we combine the neurosciences, performance psychology, strategic planning methodology, and mindfulness techniques to empower your transformation from the inside out. Join us in conversation as we explore better ways to show up for ourselves and each other. Hi friends, welcome back to The Shift. Today I'm bringing to the table a question that has been on my mind. What's our obsession with good and bad? And does it serve us, this trope of good guys and bad guys? Is it hindering our ability to engage our growth mindset? Is it hindering our ability to show compassion towards one another? Let's chat. So Yash, what are your thoughts on this binary concept of good and bad, wrong and right? Yeah, I think it's easy. I think it's accessible uh, and it's lazy. And that's why it's used. I think ever since we were kids, we can remember any sort of cartoon or TV show that easily sets up the narrative as a group of people are good and a group of people are bad. And it sells because it's less work for the brain to kind of have to work through a gray zone, a nuance. Uh, It's not confusing. You know, you say, okay, I'm part of the good team or they're part of the bad team. And we over, I think, identify with the good parts of ourselves and being on the right side of things. And we probably under identify uh, where things make us feel uncomfortable. So maybe we don't even look at them. So it's easy just to have the magnifying glass on the quote unquote good side. But I think the reframe you're gonna provide today is, is is a more balanced and probably more honest way to look at a situation within yourself or uh, in context with other people. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's come up a lot with my kids, you know, when they say someone at school did something and this concept of good and bad, and it just has not been sitting well with me. Also, it comes up in, you know, our professional setting when we're working with our clients, they're not necessarily saying good or bad, but they are devising concepts into right and wrong. And again, it's certain binary that I'm like, it's not really serving us when we're trying to work together, when we're trying to collaborate. And honestly, even when we're not, I just feel like what that lens does is build shame. And we know all the research is there. The shame does not work on any level. And what it does is like protect old narratives. It blocks us for, from seeing growth potential or possibility. It blocks our recovery. And I know a lot of the, the, the use of it, this concept of, again, of good and bad and right and wrong, um, is this idea that it gives us some sort of moral code on how to, you know, work through life. But I actually think it's just outdated. And there are so many new and vibrant reframes that actually will serve us better. Um, It will break down the concept of shame that someone has authority over somebody else. And 
actually engage this growth mindset that we talk so much about. It happens when things don't go as planned, when things cause harm, uh, when mistakes are made. And I feel like if we're able to reframe outside of binary, provide nuance and tools for recovery, then we're all going to benefit from that so much more. There's three points you made that I think need to be highlighted and, and differentiated. And that is one, that there is a moral high ground with this language, which I think is really interesting. And I see that a lot uh, as well. The second is there's shame involved, which I think there's a lot of science behind what you're saying and, and needs to be understood. And then third, the first two maybe people get, but the third one I think is less talked about, which is really interesting. And that is, uh, you know, recover, don't perfect and, and the space for recovery mm -hmm. and what recovery can offer in relationships, again, a relationship with yourself or a relationship with others. And so maybe let's break that down a little bit so we can understand those three and then get into what's our responsibility or not our responsibility when faced with these types of situations. Yeah, absolutely. What do you want to tackle first? Let's start with the moral high ground, because I think that's the, what I, that's what I started saying. That's where I go immediately when I hear good or bad or when I use good or bad. Right. You know, I, I, I am making a judgment on someone's behavior, on someone's decision, on my own behavior, on my own decisions. Right. And so my brain automatically goes to like, that was good. You did that well, Yasha, or that was bad. You did that poorly, Yasha. And so I know the reframe because obviously I've, I speak with you and I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to leave that for you not to steal the thunder. And I think the reframe is critical because it moves us out of the moral high ground. It moves us out of the, I know better than you, or I'm judging myself in a, in a way that doesn't serve us, as you say. So I think let's start there. So exactly. When we use these binary terms, that comes with a moral high ground. And it comes with, again, the concept of shame. We're saying I'm better than you. And now you should feel bad for being that way. Right. That's a big, chunky, unhelpful pill to swallow that again, blocks us into uh, division. Uh, and it also, again, doesn't allow us to see possibility for growth and recovery. So how to address then a harm or a mistake without doing that? So I, my, you know, proposed reframe, because again, we're not telling you what to do. We're just bringing concepts that allow you to maybe shift your mindset and see if these work better and serve you better is that say the thing. So I can say your behavior was safe or unsafe. And therefore I'm choosing to put up this maybe compassionate boundary, whether we don't work together anymore, or we don't socialize anymore. But if I tell you you're bad, what does that do? Versus I say your behavior one was unsafe then that gives you the choice to get curious about that, make the changes necessary. You know, that's what I keep talking about. This It opens up the door for possibility and recovery. When I just call you bad, or if I just call you toxic, that doesn't give you tools. And it also doesn't give me tools to get actually clear on what is that is happening. The more self-aware I become also, I can say, you know, that remark was helpful or unhelpful, um, that behavior was safe or unsafe, um, what you did was kind or unkind. It allows us to start putting words to our feelings. We name it to tame it, as they say. And also, again, provide a direction for recovery. 
And also, even if let's say we're not going to mend that relationship, by me even just labeling it as that that behavior is unsafe and therefore I'm you know removing myself from the situation, it also gives me um, tools to stay in my self-worth. It assures that it, it reminds me of why I'm not self-abandoning at that moment. Like my body felt unsafe. And so I'm choosing my safety, you know, and, and that's, you know, when I'm putting up that compassionate boundary. So on all ends, it's actually empowering us to make more self-aware choices and be more personally accountable on all ends. Well, you ended with there by saying, this is unsafe for me my personal boundaries have been crossed. I think that makes a situation that can be very uncomfortable for a lot of people because we're so used to not speaking up in those moments. And I think the reason we're used to not speaking up is simply because we're not used to being held when we do speak up. We're not used to like having the other party or parties saying, oh, interesting, as you said, get curious about it. And to kind of change the social fabric, which is where my mind always goes, is then to have space for that. And I think there's courage on both sides. You know, there's courage for the person to speak up. And then there's courage for the other person to say, oh, maybe I did something wrong here. And, and, and I want to listen and learn. I know that's an automatic state for me to almost fall into uh, and, and hope that everyone falls into, but that doesn't always happen. And we've had a lot of conversations around this. And I think the way you describe it is, is actually really helpful. So can you touch upon a little bit of like, the responsibility part of, of speaking up or not to speak up or how to speak up, because I think that's where most people struggle is they either don't speak up or they just attack. And, and there's got to be a better way, as we say. And so I know you think there is. So can you talk to that a little bit? Like in terms of the person feeling the harm? Yeah. Like I said something to you, Isla, and I harmed you with my words. And, and, I'm, let's, again, my intentions were not to harm you. So let's yeah. let's assume. I would hope in a relationship like ours, you would have the 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 belief and the courage to speak up, so I can do better next time. But again, that's not the case with everyone. So I know there's this whole idea we keep talking about responsibility, about like to say something or not to say something, and I, I just think the way you talk to that is 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 part of the reframe and is actually a fresh breath in this kind of conversation. Absolutely. Like all muscles, it's a muscle that has to be developed and how to communicate your needs, your feelings. You know, a lot of us have these muscles underdeveloped. Um, and, you know, a lot of the work we do is, you know, working on those muscles with our clients to how to communicate and how to commu communicate effectively. Because you're right, you usually, we usually see two extremes, one that stores it and one that explodes. And usually it's both because you store it for long enough and you get enough resentment that it just explodes. And so we kind of want to step away from this kind of pendulum swing that we tend to see and see what it looks like in the middle. The first thing I'm going to offer is you don't have to be doing it right away. I think we think that everything always has to be answer ready. Like I got hurt. I have to be ready with the perfect response and the way to say it. And most likely we won't be answer ready unless again, we've been practicing these muscles for a very long time. It might take a moment of self evaluations, you know, sitting with yourself, that self-awareness piece is critical. Like, why am I feeling this? You know, so many times I'll be going through my day and I'm like, I'm in a, in a mood suddenly. And I'm like, stop. 
do a little inventory. What happened where that switched you? And I literally have to go through the index of like this happened, this happened. And I'm like, oh, that text message, that's what happened. But it was happening in the slew of all other events as most of our lives are very busy that I would have missed it if I didn't take the moment to realize I got this text message. It changed my mood and persona. So it actually has nothing to do with this one person that I'm talking to. It has to do with an event in the past, but that's a self-awareness muscle. That's a moment where I'm taking to pause think, evaluate. These are all a lot of steps that if we're not practicing, we're completely going to miss. So the first piece, like always, is the self-awareness. So even before you're going to get ready to communicate, you got to know what the problem is. Yeah. You know, a step further that we've talked about is you may not know the problem, but you, you probably are aware of the feeling of like, just so there's something off. And I know when we work with clients, especially when we work with teams, it's enough to say, I'm not feeling right about this. I need time to, to think about this. I'm not ready to speak on this. Can you give me a day or two to reflect on this? You know, this is like where you're saying, don't be answer ready, but be, but develop the muscle to be honest with what you're feeling and then develop the culture with the people that you surround yourself with to honor that and to give the space to, to have a moment to think and to come back with an answer that is actually more aligned with who you are and what you're trying to accomplish in the first place. Because that's the ultimate goal of any communication, right? Is to be clear and to, and to articulate in a way that builds understanding uh, with, with the people that you're hoping to build that understanding with. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think exactly that. Like we've had so many cases where this has happened because we do a lot of group work and, you know, there's a rapid fire back and forth and someone feels a certain way and we give them that permission slip to say, hey, you're allowed to say, I don't want to touch this right now. I feel some sort of way. I don't know what that is. I'll come back to you. We are offering the power of grace and space to have a moment. So when we push these ideas of self-awareness, we don't realize the resources it takes to have that self-awareness. And a lot of time, time and space is necessary. And that's a luxury in most settings. And so that's the first gift we offer is time and space. You're allowed to take that time and space and say, I don't know what I feel, but I feel something and I'm going to get back to you. So I guess that was step one. I guess step two is when you do take that time and space and you realize, oh, my body felt really unsafe, what you said offended me or this and that, then you have the choice. Instead of again saying that person's good or bad or that person's toxic, you can just name it and said, your behavior was incredibly unsafe for me. And for you can choose to work towards recovery or you can actively choose to say, and for these reasons, like, you know, I don't want to be in this partnership, uh, work on this project or be friends, you know, you can make that choice. That's a valid choice. You don't even have to provide more explanation, but I'm just saying using the words of what it is, the pain allows you to be clearer on the intention. And of course we have a whole different conversation. If you are going to work towards recovery, we do have a concept when we work, you know, with partnerships and teams, you know, connect before you correct. And that's a whole other vein, but we're really sticking to the moment in that where instead of writing people off or saying behavior is good and bad and right and wrong, let's get to the root and say what it is you're feeling. And that's going to serve us better on both ends. And, and I think that first step of even just simply saying, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know there's something here, I think minimizes the second point we want to talk about, which is shame. 
right? It minimizes the, the spewing of judgmental commentary towards somebody else, whether they meant it or not, you know, that's also neither here nor there based on the reframe that you're offering right now. But really what we're saying is like, I'm not going to meet fire with fire. I am going to figure out a way to communicate and, and, and lead myself through this conversation differently. And so when someone says, I haven't figured this out, or maybe I have figured it out and it feels unsafe to me versus again, you're such a toxic person when you, you choose such toxic behaviors, the other person's brain is completely going to shut off at that point, right? They have to fall into defense or over justification, which is part of defense or just like, well, screw you too. And it's done. And so, yeah, that shame part, do you want to say a bit more about that? Yeah, I think, I, I think it's so critical because again, let's change now I'm on the other side, right? You do something, your intention was one thing, the outcome was different. That moment, there's a disconnect. There's a dissonance, a cognitive dissonance happening, right? There's a tension in your brain. So if you're offered a reason, unsafe, unkind, unhelpful, yeah, you're not going to love it, but it's much different way to metabolize that. You have a you have tools to metabolize that then like good, bad, right, and wrong. It becomes so binary and there's no way out of this fixed box. But if you say unsafe, unkind, unhelpful, you're giving your brain possibility. You're being received with compassion to recover. And so, yeah, you're not going to feel great about it, but nobody is here to be perfect. We're here to learn, evolve, and get better. And by allowing and gifting that the brain words that are actually helpful to go in that direction, what you're doing there is mitigating the risk of having your amygdala fire into a flight, fight, or freeze response. And instead giving the little avenue of like, okay, well, maybe I can try this or I can ask this question or, or again, what I kept with well, the word I keep using is possibility. When we talk again about growth mindset, these big terms, what does it mean? It means I believe I can do better. I believe that I can recover. And so it reduces the shame and suddenly you get to take your autonomy, you get to use your tools and choose a different direction, a different way. Yeah. And I think anyone's listening to this can maybe just do the thought experiment and feel it on. If someone says you're toxic versus that was unhelpful or you're, you're awful, you're bad. That was such a stupid decision versus I don't quite understand your decision. I, maybe I want to or don't want to, but to start with, I just don't understand it. You know, then it's like, there's an avenue, even, even just hearing that your brain goes, I, you know, at least my brain goes into curiosity of like, okay, but what, but what happened? Where's that disconnect? You know, and I, I might be really, really passionate about the point I want to make, but the person across from me hasn't just been like, you're dumb, move on. You know, they're like, this doesn't work for me. And you're like, but but why? <laughs> just what is what is that? Like there's, there's for, for me, at least, and maybe for you too, uh, and whoever's listening, ask yourself, like, does it spark that curiosity of, to lean in more, which goes to the third point of an opportunity for recovery, right? Right. And so what do you want to say about that, Isla? So I think that, you know, when we look at this, a part of it is also nuance. You know, we we're going to, we talk a lot about nuance. I think we're going to always talk about nuance. I think we should say these episodes were sponsored by the word nuance because <laughs> <laughs> we will be using that word we'll over and over again. Often. Yeah. Because also like what we believe last year is not what we believe today. Like we're always evolving. So again, holding ourselves to these binary concepts 
it's not serving anyone, right? This is the whole concept. How does this serve you? It doesn't. So what will serve you better? And what I'm saying is that the we hold two truths. So my intention was to do something kind. The outcome was unkind. Those are both valid and true in tandem. One does not negate the other. It does mean that you do should take on the personal accountability of going towards recovery, which means how do I bring reconciliation to this moment? But it doesn't make you good or bad. It, may, it means you made a mistake. And so what do you do to fix that mistake? If you think about the brain science of it all, our brain doesn't like to not be told not to do something. It doesn't know what to do with that information. Don't walk straight. Don't walk straight. Don't walk straight. It's like, okay, but then what do I do? Yeah. Do I walk backwards? Do I go side to side? Do I spin? Do I jump? Do I crawl? Do exactly. I do a handstand? What do you want me to do? It doesn't yeah. provide it an opportunity. It just blocks it. Again, you're like, uh, frozen. And so we have a great example of what happened between you and I once when we were filming a documentary is I was in front of the camera and the director was saying too slow, too fast, too slow. And I was just sweating and I was doing a terrible job. And you came in my ear and said, Hey, when you did it that way, and you said this thing, do that again. And so I did. And then the director was like, wow, that was great. Yashar, what did you tell her? And you were like, I told her what to do, <laughs> you know? And that's how our brain works. You constantly like, you're bad. Um, like, it's like, okay, but what am I supposed to do about that? Versus like, I'm unsafe. It's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I can say like, okay, what is safe? Or yeah. what would be helpful? Or what's a kinder way for me to approach that? Or it gives our brain somewhere to go. Yeah. And I think that's important. Somewhere to go may not be where you want to be though. You know, like I, I like a very personal example is like my wife likes space to figure things out. And I like to talk to figure things out. We both have intentions to figure things out. One of us does it alone and one of us does it in tandem. And obviously there's times where that could be reversed, but our biases move us towards me being a talker and her being like, give me space to think about this. And so intention is pure from both of our ends. But my bias is like, no, I'm going to sit here with you and figure this out. And hers like, give me space. And then that becomes an actual problem. You know, my behavior is not bad, but in the, because I'm loving and I'm caring and I want to figure this out and I want to help. But in that context, it's actually very unhelpful. It's unkind and it's, it's moving us backwards. And after almost 13 years of being in a relationship, I still struggle with this because I have a huge gravitational pull towards something. And, and my wife has a gravitational pull towards something else. So I think that's a really, I bring that example up because no one's trying to hurt. Let's, can, I, can I grab that yeah. example? Let, I just want to hold it there before you conclude it. Let's just stay in it, right? So something's happened and she needs to process. You want to process with her, she wants a process alone. If in that moment she says, oh, you're so needy, you're so clingy, get away. That's the same as the binary wrong or right. If she says, hey, that's really unhelpful for me right now. I need to be alone to process. One way gave shame, blame, binary, good and bad. The other way explained clearly that her processing is one way and she needs this. And then your choice is to respect her boundaries and go ahead versus the first way you would have just maybe either became a victim or you would have lashed out. 
Either way, you're feeding a fire that's not serving either of you. The second way, you might feel a certain way about it because you're like, well, I want to be together. So you can come back with saying, okay, after you've had your time, you know, processing alone, since I process together, can we set a time where we can talk about this? And that becomes a compromise. These are, again, how we're using communication tools. But we need to eliminate all this shame and blame and force thinking that's going to get us somewhere. All it's going to do is deepen our old narratives it's going to divide us even more and keep us weak you know in our mindset in our communication and we don't want to be coming at each other always with projections and defensiveness like there is a better way yeah and and i and i think like to be really honest about this conversation is like i i trip up in those moments more than i don't and i have to be really aware and you're absolutely right if if my wife came back and said you know, you're constantly a mess up in these situations, it wouldn't make me want to be better, it would just make me want to be more distant, which is not how I process it is how she processes. But now I'm less interested in the process, right? I'm less interested in, in, in involving myself in that. So I think an episode to follow up this conversation would be the, the, the episode we're going to do on conflict resolution, and how conflict can be a transformational for all parties involved, um, let alone you yourself working through it. So we'll 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 definitely you know move into that episode in the near future and and have that discussion. But I think at this point, the goal of this episode was to kind of what is the first step when you're met with this? How do we move out of the binary and make it non-binary in our in our dialogue in our discussion? Right. So a perfect way to close is really just evaluating the amount of times you say something is right or wrong or good and bad and asking yourself, how does that serve you? How does that serve your relationships? How does that serve your growth potential? And get curious about it. You know, the most inspiring people in life, you know, whether you see them on TV or you're in personal connection with them, aren't the ones that are perfect, are the ones that are constantly evolving and getting better and showing recovery. I know that even for our kids, when they watch us or when we watch our parents or, you know, vice versa in any relationship, the most inspiring people are the people that hear something and try and recover and do better next time. When I see someone constantly evolving, you know, getting better, doing things different than they did before and in ways that serve themselves better and us better. That's the most inspiring people to be around. And so I think we have to get away from this concept that like shame and blame are going to make us more resilient because they're not. All they are doing is building scar tissue and making more things that we have to unlearn and relearn. So let's make better choices in the language we use and how we decide to communicate each other. Again, ask yourself, does this serve me? Does this serve the version of me that I'm trying to become? Does this serve my relationships? Is this the type of community I want to be in? So the next time you use the words good or bad or wrong and right, get curious to see if there's other words that'll help communicate your needs better and provide access for recovery and possibility for growth. Thank you for listening, friends. What shifted for you during this episode? We'd love to hear your insights. Write us with any questions, commentary, or episode ideas at theshift at mindshiftleadership.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would deeply appreciate a like and subscribe. 
The Shift is brought to you by MindShift Leadership, a heart-centered, evidence-based, mindset-powered leadership company, empowering you with the training to prioritize mental health, inclusion, and performance optimization.